Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. We're going to be talking about a topic you've maybe never even heard of. We're going to be talking about causal mapping. We have Dave Newell on the line with us today, and he is the president of Evolve Leadership Consulting. And to go after the bigger guys, a little bit of a collective here. He is now co-founder as well of Align Collective. It's all about change management. It's all about process. And too often, we don't bring that process, that idea of change management into the sales vernacular, into what we're doing in the day-to-day selling. And the challenge is we tend to lose as salespeople to inaction, to the status quo about 75% of the time. So your close loss is likely to the status quo or nothing at all. So today's topic is going to be key. So with that said, welcome to the show, Dave. Hey, thanks, Brian. It's really great to be here. Appreciate yeah, yeah, appreciate you coming on board. And now we've talked about this a little bit on the back end, but I guess the question is, what in the world is causal mapping and how in the world does it relate to sales? Yeah, uh, let's dive right in. Yeah. Uh, so causal mapping is a process that came out of MIT in the 70s and 80s. And essentially what causal mapping looks at is cause and effect relationship. Um, And really the intent behind it is to discover what's the most influential work that we can do, what's the most influential, you know, kind of nozzle we can turn that's going to create the greatest impact. Um, So there's a couple, there's a couple ways to think about this. I like starting this with a story uh, because I think it helps to understand what we're looking at. Uh, So the story I like to share with this is, you know, my first job, uh, I was 15 years old and I was mowing uh, I, I worked at a golf course uh, on the maintenance crew. So we were there at six in the morning and worked till, you know, two 30 in the afternoon. And we were doing, and my title was grunt, which I think is actually one of my favorite <laughs> titles I've ever had uh, <laughs> because it's the sound you made when you were doing the work, right? Like it was, it was a audio name, <laughs> but uh, I eventually graduated into mowing fairways and mowing fairways is part of the visual experience, right? Like you actually create the visual experience for, you know, the users of the course. And so the first few times that I did this, I'm on a 10 foot wide mower and I'm mowing, you know, lines up the fairway. And as I was doing this, you know, the lines were looking like this. They were a little bit crazy, right? Like a little bit more like a heartbeat pattern than this kind of straight fluid line. And so my supervisor came up to me and he said, um, he said, well, where are you looking? And I thought, well, that's a weird question, right? Like I'm looking, I'm looking at the mower blades, making sure that they're kind of sitting right on that line, right? Um, and he said, hey, look 30 feet ahead and just see what happens. That's all he said to me. So I started looking 30 feet ahead. And the next, you know, the next line that I mowed was the straightest line I've ever mowed. Right. And it's this idea of, you know, when we think about, well, causation, right? So I would have thought about like, well, either I'm moving the steering wheel too much or you know, I'm not following the line correctly or, you know, whatever it might be, but actually the most influential thing I could do in mowing straight was change where I was looking. And I would have never guessed that on the front end, right? So if you pick those three factors, where am I looking, you know, steering wheel um, or, you know, uh, 
uh, how the mower is moving. It's like the most influential thing is where I was looking. Uh, so he taught me a pretty significant lesson that day in terms of influence in being able to do the work that we want to do. Yeah. And, and this is throughout, right? So whenever I was flying airplanes, you always look at the horizon, you pick a point and fly to it. Uh, a missile, same thing. If you shoot off a missile, it's going to be going, it's going to go all over the place until it hones in on its target and make smaller and smaller corrections. So if you yeah. look ahead, even professional drivers, um, it, they'll look ahead to watch what's going on 20 feet ahead and then be able to change that out. So whether you're looking short-term or long-term, I, I guess what I don't understand here then is from a causal mapping, how did creating that vision give you this idea of causal mapping to MIT? I guess I'm, I'm missing that relationship. Yeah. Well, so the point of the story is to essentially say, you know, we often think about the factors that are obvious and right in front of us, right? So most of the time when we look at issues or challenges, we're looking at what I would refer to as lagging indicators, right? So like how much revenue did we produce? How many proposals were accepted? It's like, but those are lagging indicators. Those are things that come secondary. Causal mapping exposes us to leading indicators and puts the relationship between those things together, right? So like where my eyes are looking is actually the most influential thing of whether I mow straight, not necessarily how I move my hands because where my eyes are looking influences where my hands move, if that makes sense. And then the machine moves because my hands move. So in that order, right? So eyes, hands, machine movement. But most people think about like, oh, just drive the machine straight. And it's like, well, but that's the lagging indicator. That's the piece that comes on the back end. So a couple, so tying this to sales where I, you know, a big mental shift for me, you know, I've been, I've been connected to sales. I've done sales training. Actually, when I got into the consulting world, what I was first doing was sales training. I was working with this group called Sage Presence. They're out of Minneapolis. Um, and I was, I was basically trying to figure out uh, how to coach teams through sales and a huge mental shift for me was going from sales as sales. Like I need you to buy my product or service or whatever it is that I was selling to you to, I need you, or I need to treat this like a coaching conversation. And so what I started to think about mentally is how am I actually helping this person to just to discover pain and to see the relationship between those pain points that they couldn't see before because that's actually what's gonna allow them to connect with the content. And so causal mapping is essentially saying, put all your dots on the table, throw everything at me. What are all the pain points that you have? Now let's theme those, let's identify common threads and not just stop there then, but look at what's the relationship between those threads, right? Like where's the connection between point A, point B, point C and point D? It's not A, B, C, D, it's what's the relationship between A, B, C and D? And once we understand that relationship from a causal perspective, I can say, well, actually, if I turn the nozzle on C, A, B, and D get better. Yeah. And so let's dive down a little bit more deeply on that, because you talked about intent is the the, the ability to get the intent. I, I almost want to call it intent data, but it's not necessarily like that. Mm -hmm. um, but being able to identify the biggest levers to pull and so a couple of things come to mind is one, whenever you're looking at this is really understanding the personas of the people with whom you're dealing with, and then understanding their, that persona's perspective and understanding what the root cause is 
for that person and how that person identifies it. I mean, is that a long-winded long way of saying, hey, that's causal mapping is figuring all of those relationships out? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's root cause analysis. So a lot of sales, you know, books, resources, processes, whatever you want to, you know, kind of point at, talk about, like, actually get to the pain, right? Like understand your customer's pain points, and then it stops there, right? It's part two and three to me that matter the most in a sales conversation where the most aha moments happen isn't just like, here's a list of the 10 things that you find as pain points. It's how do the, what are the themes of those 10 things? It's typically turns into two or three things. And then what's the relationship between those two or three things? And it's like, we just keep taking it down an extra layer. And then that relationship piece to say is like, actually it's where your eyes are looking. That's the most, that's the most difficult thing. So from a change management services perspective as a consultant, Right, then I can say, well, actually, here's phase one, two, and three that I would do with you to solve all these problems. And I can address that real time as opposed to like, I came in with my cookie cutter solution. It's like, well, I can still have my cookie cutter solution. I can say, here's my five-step process for dealing with change management. But now I can apply that to a very clear story that has leading and lagging indicators. It's like, there's not confusion at that point. What I didn't do is punch at symptoms hoping I was hitting something, right? So that root cause analysis is really important and understand the relationship between the two or three most influential pain points just adds an extra layer of clarity and story to the person that you're talking to. Yeah, and one of the biggest challenges out there, I'm in a group called Vistage. And one of the things that we always work to do in Vistage is identify the real problem. Because too often people are trying to, you know, it, it's duct tape entwined and they have all of these things and systems held together and you have this uh, Franken business kind of thing running around because we don't get to the root cause. We keep put, putting on band-aids or fixing the presenting problem rather than understanding down at a deeper level, hey, if we do this, this is going to not only fix this symptom, but symptom three, four, seven, and 10 as well. Yeah. Um, so that's really, I, I think, what you're talking about here with this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a really great way to say it. Um, you know, the, the piece that I see a lot in a sales conversation that doesn't go well, or when I'm not disciplined to follow that process, or when I screw up in a sales process, it's typically because I jump into solution brain too quickly. Yeah. Right. So somebody presents me with a problem and instead of saying, or then I would jump in with, Oh, well, here's what I think you could do. So like, well, what I haven't done though, is help them to actually discover anything new. That's typically their rote response when somebody says, Hey, what's not working or what's the challenge they have a rote response to that. And it typically is the lagging indicator. It's typically the thing you can see. Like, hey, I've got upset employees or my employees are a pain in the butt to work with or whatever it is. It's like, well, that's an output. Like that's a backend thing. My job is to discover what's on the front end of that because this is the pain point. If I solve this, I know that this gets better, right? So the two most powerful questions you can ask in a sales conversation or the two most powerful things you can say are tell me more and what else? right? Tell me more about that. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. What else? What else? What else? Right. And the more you do that, the more you get to the point where it's like the, the person that you're talking to is experiencing you um, as somebody who's serving them already because you're actually giving them the space to process and to think about the problem, right? So thinking about your Vistage group, what's the most important thing I could do in that space if I'm a salesperson or a facilitator? Tell me more and what else? 
What else? Just to give you the 30 minutes that you never have to process that issue to the point where you discovered four or five things. You're like, oh my gosh, I never thought about it like this. You're like, yeah. And now as the salesperson, I can say, and here are the three steps that you can take to go from where you are to where you want to go. And in a sales process, what allow, what actually gets somebody to say yes to you is actually tension, right? So if I can say, here's where you are and here's where you want to go, the farther apart I can pull those two things, right? The greater distance I can create between those two things, the more likely you are to say yes to me in terms of my service or product. If I can prove that my service or product releases that tension for you, then you are more likely to act. Nobody says yes when they're fine. Like right. nobody's like, oh, I'm doing pretty good, actually. You want my service? No, nah, I'm good. Right? Like nobody says yes when everything's fine. They say yes when they feel that tension or they feel that pain, right? So what causal mapping does is it actually kind of pulls the beginning part of that story farther away from their happy ending, but because it's comprehensive, right? It's not a one version and now I'm just punching hope and I hit something. It's not just a couple pieces of information. It's the whole story. So before we don't jump into the how do we do causal mapping, let's talk about um, what whenever you're let's go to a tactical piece whenever you're saying what else um, what else what else what else is open-ended and doesn't end up with a hook the hook would be if if you ask hey anything else the hook is no just like whenever you walk into a furniture store um, hey can I help you no just looking that's the hook so what else is a really good tactical way of of uncovering that a little bit more and I like the idea of tension leads to action because the the greater that tension the greater that gestalt, the more that they realize through your questioning strategies that, oh, this person can actually help. So identifying the as is versus the to be and that to be over mm -hmm. time, that's really what we're talking about. So nothing new under the sun there. Um, the other question I had before we dive into the how do we do really this causal mapping is the leading and lagging indicators. Yeah. How well versed do we need to be in what their leading and lagging indicators should be? versus um, just dive right into it and, and say, hey, these are the leading indicators or um, are they the same type of leading indicators everywhere? So I guess poorly asked question, how do we know the right leading indicators to look for? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it is definitely open to interpretation, right? So you might interpret something a little bit differently than I do. And that's the challenge of causal mapping, right? That's where experience comes into play. But typically the question I ask is which one comes first, right? So uh, sales, a, a sales process to me is a very kind of basic version of leading versus liking indicators, right? So again, most people talk about like contracts closed and revenue. It's like, well, those two things are lagging indicators. Like those come last. Leads you know, initial conversations, proposals, those three things come first, right? So where, where are our initial contacts coming from? Am I following up with those initial contacts and am I having good conversations with them? And am I actually getting proposals out the door? Those three things are leading indicators. So if you think about it from an operations perspective, or you think about it from, um, you know, a marketing perspective or whatever it might be, the question you're asking is like, well, which one led to which one? Right. So I get that that's kind of like a, a process oriented question. When you're looking at pain, it's a little bit different. It can be challenging. But typically I think about, well, what what's an output versus an input? Right. So we've got really frustrated employees or our employees are behaving badly or whatever it might be. Like 
we've got a lot of tension from a cultural perspective. It's like, well, that's an output that things have to happen in order for that to take place. Or people will say, we, we don't trust each other. Well, trust is a lagging indicator. Like there's work that takes place in order for trust to be something, right? So that's where the, which one of these comes first is important to understand that causal relationship. Yeah, and, and so just realize too that sometimes your leading indicators can be lagging indicator for the one prior, right? So outreach is a leading yeah. indicator to conversations. Conversations is a leading indicator to meetings booked, but they're, um, but a conversation is a lagging indicator to um, size of ICP list and connection rate, right? So yeah. you have Art, to know right. the story yeah. that it tells. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just, I was just affirming what you were saying, essentially, right? Like marketing is what leads to leads, right? Like you have to fill the pipeline. So there's leading. So like if your leads are down, well, now I'm going to switch departments and I'm going to look over here and say what's happening over here. And so that gets then into what you said, causal mapping is a little bit of relationship mapping, because whenever you're looking at sales overall, we've moved into more of a marketing funnel, right? One part sales, one part marketing, all parts, we need us to work together, even from a customer success, um, driving revenue type of relationship. So that's where that relationship mapping comes into play of who does what part of this role. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, a lot of times in the small, you know, I, I work with a lot of small to mid-sized companies and where they often run into challenges is the, is the, is the transition from sales to operations, depending upon product service, whatever it is that they're doing, because a salesperson might say something, they might say, no, we can do that. We can get it done for in two weeks. And then the operations team's like, why would you say that? We can't do that in two weeks. And now we have this now we have this relationship, but if we only looked at operations, we might say, hey, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. This isn't getting done. We have upset customers. It's like, well, but there was this thing that got said over here that set an expectation that we can't meet, right? So causal mapping, again, part of what makes it really powerful is you're looking at the whole system, right? So the story I like to, I, I like to attribute to this is from uh, an anecdote that came from David Foster Wallace. And he says, um, there's this old fish swimming in the water. And he swims by these two younger fish and the old fish says, hey, boys, how's the water? And the two younger fish say, water? What the hell is water? Right? It's this thing they've been swimming in this whole time, but they didn't know what it was, right? What causal mapping does is essentially says, like, this is the water that you're swimming in. Now that you can see the whole story, now that you can see the whole picture, we have different choices about how we want to interact with it, right? Otherwise, if we can't see that water, then we just swim the way we've always swum, Right. And we just kind of keep going along. But essentially, causal map is saying, this is the water that you're swimming in. Now that you know it, how do we want to change the way we interact with it to create a different experience? And now, how would we go about this causal mapping? What's the what's maybe the tactical how to if we wanted to try to figure this out? Yeah, so I'll kind of maybe do that in two realms. Right. So if it's a one on one sales conversation or if I'm selling to a group, essentially what I want to do is. Uh, I open up, you know, to your point earlier about kind of open-ended questions. I typically ask one question on the front end of a causal mapping process, which is what's in the way. So we have a topic, right? We might be talking about, you know, our sales team is suffering, our product isn't getting sold in the way we want it to get sold. Okay. So if the product isn't getting sold in the way you want it to get sold, what's in the way? And I just let them take me wherever they want to take me, right? So that is an open-ended question that they can go left, right, down the middle. Great. 
And then it's tell me more and what else. And what I'm doing is I'm actually looking for data points. Like give me as much data and as much information as I can have. My hope is that you give me 20 to 30 bullet points that I can just have, right? You were going to ask a question maybe. Yeah, I was. So who all is in that room? It depends. So again, if I'm doing a one-on-one conversation, I'll just ask what's in the way. If it's a group, I can ask the same question. And because I'm looking for data, no one's wrong, right? So I'm not interested in them debating whether it's right or not. I'm interested in getting a data point. So if one person interprets it differently than another person, I'll take both points, right? So, yeah, so, so really then it seems like you're, you start off with just a general brainstorming session. Hey, you're going to identify all of these different things and then do the, the, the um, what is it? Keep combine kill kind of thing where you're, yeah. you're combining different ideas, killing what they say, oh, this actually leads to this. So we can get rid of those. Um, so is that kind of the idea we get about 15, 20 of these things and then find out, Hey, these are the most important. Well, so it's less about most important. It's more about what are the themes, right? So if I get 20 to 25 bullet points, I'll say, okay, so what what fits together, right? And typically it's probably three to five, like if I have 20 to 25 pieces of information, it's probably three to five themes, right? And then those themes, it's like, we just take those bits of information and we pull them into a larger chunk, right? This is inductive reasoning. We're looking for a bigger picture, right? So now I've got these five themes and I can start to say, okay, so what is the relationship between these five things, right? Which one leads to what, right? And you actually can score. I don't typically do this part in the room. Uh, I just leave the five themes and I say, okay, this is something that we can address. Here's the process that I would do and it will lead you to this. And then I come back to them later because it takes a little time to process. Um, but I'll take those five themes and I'll show like, here's the relationship between these five things. And I think we should start here. Uh, because it'll create the most influence. That's in a sales process. If I'm doing change management across an organization, you know, I've done as many as a hundred interviews in an organization that had, you know, hundred plus employees where I got, you know, 50 pages of notes. Uh, and that's just a much more complex, much, you know, to your point earlier, like we're looking at sales, we're looking at marketing, we're looking at operations, and it's a much more complex operation than a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but the principles are the same. So if I'm in sales, how can I take this to leverage this to help my end result be losing the status quo or, you know, no change? How can I use this from in a sales process? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's the first, it, the first elements are important, right? So viewing, viewing your conversation with the customer as number one, my job is to get data right? To get information points. So tell me what's in the way, what's happening for you? What's going on? What's the current situation? All variations of the same question, but it's open-ended. Tracking that data, identifying the themes, repeating those themes back to the customer. That's where mirroring kicks in, right? Like, here's what I heard you saying. You said this, right? And they're like, yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's right. Like, okay, so now we have this. And then I'm going to ask the next question, which is what do you want? Based on what you said over here, what is it that you want? And what I'm doing is that I'm trying to bookend that tension line that I was talking about before. So a story is essentially a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? This is the beginning portion of saying, here's what the pain point is, but I'm going to thoroughly do this. Like, I'm going to spend a lot of time here saying, this is what the pain point is. We're going to diagnose, diagnose that a little bit. And then I get to say, okay, so what's your happy ending? And it's the opposite of this, right? So if these five things are broken, 
those five things are fixed on the back end. Now I've created the bookends. So when I do the causal mapping process, I'm showing you like, here's all the pain points, here's the relationship between them. And I'm showing you the distance between those two things. Now I can insert myself in the middle and say, okay, so you're here. We've all agreed that you're here. We've done a very thorough job of this. This is what you want. Here's my process for how to get you from here to here. And what I did is I closed all three loops in the human brain. We want to know, like our, our brains are hardwired to receive and to remember story, right? So a beginning, a middle, and an end. Causal mapping is essentially the beginning process, but it's a thorough version of that. So I'm really fully closing this bookend before I jump to the other two. And I can do these other two really quickly to close that loop, but I've essentially closed all the loops in your brain. And now I'm now you don't have questions. You're not left, you know, thinking, well, maybe I'll work with that guy, whatever. Like you pretty much know the answer by the time I'm done with conversation number one. Yeah. Now, how much of this do you tie back to impact, personal and, and business impacts? Are you doing that at all within this within this process? Say more about that. Right. So um, by the way, that's a great open-ended question. So you listening along, this is how you unpack questions, right? So my point of that is whenever you have a person who's, let's say you're in that one-to-one, this is an earlier dialogue and you're trying to uncover the whole entire picture and you're just getting this one person's perspective. Maybe you're looking to create them into a champion for you to take into the organization to help spearhead this this change. Because what you're really asking them to do is change management. You're asking them to stop doing what they're doing today and change into doing your service, your product, using it, however that looks. So when you're doing that, the only reason this person's going to change is if there is a big enough personal and compelling reason to take action, to spend that political capital, to spend that additional time mm-hmm. to uncover this. So the 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 idea is you do that causal mapping, you identify what all the causes is, the root cause of it, you identify their 2B state, their ideal, right? Get that vision, yeah. then, then you create that vision of the solution. But none of that really matters is if there's not that emotional compelling reason why they're going to act, because that's the reason that they stay with status quo is there's not that emotional compelling reason why to act that that reason that cause is not big enough to change. So that's where I'm asking, how important is it to tie what we've discovered to their personal, um, the impact that on them personally and on the business? Yeah, that's a really great question. So, you know, I mentioned earlier tension right? Which is emotional in nature, right? Like the farther apart I can pull the beginning and the end, the more, the more they're going to feel the tension of that, right? The more they're going to feel like, oh man, if I don't do something like this is just going to continue to get worse over here. The other thing you can do uh, is ask the question in the discovery phase, like in that kind of what's your not so happy beginning portion of, and what are the feelings that you would associate with this? Right. You can just simply ask, what are the what are the emotions? What are the feelings? They might say, I'm frustrated, I'm overwhelmed, I'm confused, lost, stuck, like all those kind of negative feelings. And then you can tie that to then and what do you want to feel on the back end? Well, confident, you know, clear, those types of things. And it's like, okay, well, I'm showing you the distance between those two things. So where the emotion comes in isn't in just naming that you feel lost, stuck, or overwhelmed, but also to say, that you want to be confident, clear, and convicted, right? Well, if you want this and you're here, you need this, 
right? And it's like those three elements of the story is the emotional impact to be able to say yes to you. Right. Yeah. And so my encouragement to you out there who don't like the happy, touchy, feely stuff, right? Me included. I, I th- those like, oh, I'd, I could care less about feelings. I just want to get things f- fixed because I'm, I tend to be too logical. Now, the challenge is making a decision is emotional. We justify it intellectually, but we make those decisions emotionally. So even if you're uncomfortable, figure out ways of asking those type of type of questions because you're doing the person the disservice if you're not bringing the emotional compelling reason why to change why to take action they're just going to be stuck in that status quo and, and quagmire until the next person comes along with maybe a less effective solution maybe a less effective process uh maybe they're they're not nearly what you're capable of doing it but because they can get them into that emotional compelling reason to take action they're going to act on a lesser, um, lesser quality service. So do your job and make sure that you can get them to take action. I mean, that's what we're doing from an altruistic perspective. We're doing it to help them from a, you know, intrinsic perspective to feel however you want to feel. And from an extrinsic uh, perspective, not to get fired and to make the money that you need to take care of the people around you and uh, uh, impact community well. So for all of those reasons, get that emotional compelling reason why to take action. So anyway, that's my soapbox there. Hey, no, that's a good one. And I would say too, you know, um, I'm a logic forward person as well. Um, And if it helps, if it helps to process for those folks, you know, again, I mentioned, you know, on the front end, if you're asking what's in the way, you're looking for data, right? And if you're asking for like, hey, what would you say the emotions are tied that are tied to this, like you're still essentially looking for data. Like I'm looking for information. So if the, you know, quote unquote, kind of touchy feely side of it, like we don't have to live in the emotions. We don't have to spend our whole time in the emotions, but if we don't acknowledge it, we're missing the other half of the story, right? Like we're not including the person in it. Yeah. So even to be able to say, Hey, I'm, I'm recognizing, or I'm noticing that this probably feels frustrating. Is that true? Yeah. Super frustrating. Great. Now I at least just brought the personal into the space. I didn't have to live there. I didn't turn it into a therapy session. (laughs) That's not why we're here. Right. But if I don't acknowledge that as part of the pain, I'm missing a huge part of the story. Yeah. hundred percent. Now, how, so, I mean, is it truly that simple? You, you uh, say, Hey, what's, what's stand, you identify what the problem is that they're looking to solve we're looking to drive more sales or we're looking to um, have more engaged employees. All right. So we ask that overarching big question, then it's what do you think is standing in the way or to get that emotional side of it? What do you feel is standing in the way? And then tell me more, tell me more, what else, what else, what else? And now you're creating these different buckets, if you will, you're putting these into different buckets, keep kill combined to get those 20 down to five, three to five kind of thing in those different buckets. And then we're going to go back and tie that those issues into the solution that we solve and how it's going to solve their problems. Is that kind of how we do the causal mapping? Yeah, hundred percent, you know, and the, it's simple in terms of process. Uh, I, I like to say it's simple, but not simplistic. Meaning it's simple in terms of like, there are very clear compartments. The non-simplistic portion of it is we're all human. And the hardest part is to stay in that bucket, 
the hardest part is not to be like, oh, but you know what you could do? You could do this, yeah. right? Like to jump into solution mode or to jump into fix it mode. You have to, like, I have to fight myself really hard. It took years of practice to get good at just listening. It's where the transition in my brain from sales to coaching was really helpful. Because if I think about it like a coach, if I think about it as in like, oh, I'm actually coaching this person through their pain right now. My job is to discover like my whole, you know, 45 minutes of an hour long conversation should be the discovery portion. It should be me just painstakingly working through their pain because in that I'm actually giving them a gift that no one ever gives them, which is 45 minutes to process something and to be heard and to be seen and to be understood in a way that they never get somewhere else. Like even that alone is an emotional connection they don't get somewhere else. Yeah, right. and, and unfortunately, too many sales leaders don't want to give your salespeople the time to unpack this. This takes some time. And leaders who are going through these sales processes or these sales conversations don't necessarily look at it as a sales conversation. It's not a pitch type of process. It's a brainstorming exercise. It's an exploratory conversation where we can dive down and it's a problem-solving session. And if you are trying to get it done in a 10 to 15-minute chunk of time to go right into a demo, you're leading yourself right down into the same status quo. And you're going to add the tech stack and tech technology debt or technical debt, and you're not going to fix the problem. So unfortunately, fast is slow and slow is fast. So slow it down, allow the process to unfold. You know, you would do this in an executive meeting, do it on a sales meeting, that exploratory call. And then based upon that, if that salesperson is doing a good job, you're taking this, I mean, plethora, you have a tsunami of options coming at you, you can at least narrow that down. And that salesperson nine times out of 10 is likely going to be pretty um, integrity filled because they know that at the end of the day, if it's a no, they want a K-N-O-W, they want to, if it's going to be an N-O, they want a K-N-O-W as quickly as possible to get rid of this, to go on to something that can help. So you're both on the same type of side of the table, trying to disqualify this. And then if you do that brainstorming session, that person has been around this long enough that says, hey, we can't help you, but let me make this suggestion. That's typically what happens if we allow for that process, but if you try to demo dump us, um, that's not going to work. Or if you're trying to bant it from a sales leadership, that's not going to work. We really need to take the time to uncover this, to do this well. So thoughts on that idea, Dave? Yeah, I think that's actually spot on. I mean, I, I often, you know, I often ask the question, like, who's the demo for, <laughs> right? The demo is probably for me to exhibit my knowledge and my awareness and to show you like how awesome I am and how good our solution is. But that's not what, that's not going to lead to a sale, right? So to me, I, I mean, I love what you just said, because what, what I kept hearing and what you were saying is it's about like the, the power of taking someone through a discovery process to me is always more powerful than taking somebody through like a data dump experience, yeah. right? Very much for the question of who's it for, right? If I go through the discovery process, like I'm actually giving you a service in that 45 minutes or 15 minutes or however long I have. I'm actually serving you in that moment. And whether I get that deal or not, I just position myself as somebody who is referable, right? Hey, you know what? Your service doesn't necessarily work for us at this time, but I know this person over here, or, hey, I'll come back to you in six months because of how you treated me, because of how we engaged, right? 
I mean, I've been through several sales processes where somebody came in and just started giving me their solution right away. And in 10 seconds, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm never going to work with you. This is over because <laughs> you have no idea what I want or what my pain is. You're just trying to give me the thing. Right. Right? Like, I don't honestly care. So flipping that paradigm towards discovery of treating it as a discovery or treating it as a coaching conversation and giving the person that space to do it in and of itself is a great sales practice to get you in the door. Yeah, 100%. Now, how much does this support the the buyer's journey, right? Because it's really a challenge right now. You have the sales process, which you need, but then you also have the buyer's journey, which you need to understand. And the idea is to bridge these together. Is this causal map the bridge? Or do you do a causal map on the sales side, one on the buyer's journey? Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think, you know, it you know, I come from the I come from the change management consulting world. So, you know, for me the causal map is a great tool that I can thread throughout the entire experience because essentially what I'm doing is I'm creating your company's story. I'm saying, here's what you told me your pain is and it's your story, not mine. You created this story. Here's your words, here's your language, here's how you interpreted it. Now I can constantly pull back to that story. Like we're doing this because earlier we said this, right? I That might be difficult to do if you have like a concrete product from a buyer's journey perspective, but from a services perspective, the causal map can serve as an anchor story thread that you can pull all the way through that journey that you can continually pull back to, to say, we're doing this because this, right? Uh, and the, the kind of, side benefit of that is everyone has the same story, right? So I'm not convincing the CEO and then the person in ops and then the sales manager. I'm not convincing three different people to do a different action. Every time I talk to them, I'm saying, hey, we did this causal mapping process on the front end as a group. Here's what we came up with. Everybody agreed that this was the story. I don't need to recreate this all the time. Yeah. Now, and if you have a product-led growth or a product that you're selling as opposed to a service, it's the same thing. Instead of uh, pitching the feature or benefit, it's talk about the solution that it that it's going to create the, or this the, the problem that it's going to solve. So start talking about the, the solved problem, not the feature or benefit. Feature benefits way yeah. too high. Um, it go down a little bit more deeply. So, well, cool. Yeah. Well, hey, as we're running out of time here, let's let's maybe talk a little bit about um, when you're working with organizations that are trying to bring in this idea of causal mapping. What's maybe the biggest challenge that you're seeing that's preventing them from doing this causal mapping effectively? Yeah, it's a really great question. Uh, I would say number one is ego. <laughs> Honestly, uh, you know, the biggest, the, the uh, initiatives, conversations, organizations that I've worked with that I've had the hardest time is when folks are unwilling to admit or see or connect to the causal story that they're creating, right? So they create it and it's like, no, nah, that's not true. You're like, these are your words. Like, these are the <laughs> you things. Literally you literally just said like, this to me. You're the one that told me this, right? So, so ego is honestly the biggest challenge. Uh, the folks that are open to saying like, hey, you know what? Like we've got, we've got some problems under the hood and I'm okay with the fact that we have problems under the hood because I want to fix those problems. It works every time. I have not, I have yet to have a causal mapping experience or going through that process with a group where it wasn't transformational for the leadership team when they were open to it. Yeah. it the leadership teams or the, you know, the whatever team I'm working with, 
when they fail to see it as like, oh, this is something that we actually need to address and take on and then do some action around, if they treat it as like, oh, that's just information that's interesting, but we're good, that's when it becomes problematic or it doesn't, it doesn't carry the weight that it needs to carry through the organization, but essentially it's an ego problem. Yeah. And, you know, that's just universal. If you cannot identify the problems that you have and face them, bring that out into the open, then you're not going to be able to fix it. I mean, there's so many large organizations that have their head buried in the sand because they would rather have a, a green scorecard that's a complete lie rather than have red on there and actually be able to attack and in innovate the red out of it so they can truly do better. I mean, celebrate the reds and the yellows and celebrate the the fact yeah. that you're going to be able to fix it because it's now identified. So um, yeah. I couldn't agree with you anymore on that. Yeah. Yep. Now, how about um, best business hack for you uh, from you? So whether it's hiring sales talent or how to drive sales or scaling a business, um, what's one business hack that you would like to share with us? Yeah, um, it actually it actually kind of ties to this process. Uh, I think a lot about uh, how everything can be a story. Right. And so, again, human beings are hardwired to receive and to remember stories. So I actually think about causal mapping as a tool for the company to solve complex problems. So the business hack is to actually take time to process issues. Um, so one of the things that I coach teams through and I practice in our own company is when we face something that feels difficult, not like, hey, every, nobody's using the same email signature. It's like, well, okay, we don't need to causal map that process. Just somebody fix it, send it out, do it, right? But if it's like, hey, our, you know, our, our production process is running two weeks behind and we're consistently running two weeks behind. It's like, well, often what we'll do in that is we'll say, well, you know, this guy's just not communicating. Okay, well, somebody go talk to that guy and then it'll be solved. It's never solved, right? It's like <laughs> never, 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 right? So for me, it's like, well, what would it look like if we just gave ourselves 30 minutes, 45 minutes to say, here's the problem what's in the way let's hear from everybody who's involved right if it's about us don't do it without us right so let's hear from everybody involved let's actually diagnose the problem get clear and now let's move forward right so actually just the business hack to me whether it's scaling increasing sales whatever it is is actually taking the time to diagnose the problem not glossing over problem solving right we often gloss over or move through it quickly because we just want to get it over with as fast as possible but all we do when we do that is perpetuate the problem longer would you rather spend an hour on the front end to actually solve the problem or spend 20 hours processing the same problem over the next 3 weeks and have turnover from everyone getting frustrated and that nothing changes 100% yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like an hour on the front end is much better than 20 hours on the back end yeah. Now, how about uh, different resources that you might recommend? Books, podcasts, guides on these on these ideas. Yeah, that's a really great that's a really great question. Um, you know, honestly, there's so many books I could point to. Uh, there's one that's this really uh, lovely little book. Uh, it's it's uh, the power of healthy tension. It's called by Tim Arnold, uh, but it talks about that tension space of often we treat things as binary as opposed to tension lines. Right. So one of the things I like about the causal mapping process is it exposes tension lines as opposed to do this or do that. So, for example, do we focus on the individual or do we focus on the team? Yes. Like you focus on both. You have to focus on both. It's when we have a bias one way or the other that's a problem. So this book really kind of points to that. It helps create that understanding of how to navigate tension 
in the organization, which is essentially what causal mapping is really good at. Nice. Now, um, thought came to mind earlier whenever you're talking through this, how much is this causal mapping akin to the goal by, um, I can't remember, uh, Gullrat or something like that. Are you familiar with the goal um, or theory of constraint? Uh, theory of constraint, yes. So how much is, because it seems a lot of this, this causal mapping is really akin to theory of constraint. Yeah, in many ways, I mean, essentially what you're doing is you're pointing at all the edges of the container, right? So uh, if you have, uh, I, I love the example of, of music as a constraint, right? Mm -hmm. So music is a highly mathematical process, uh, but without rules, it's noise, right? So like if I handed you an instrument and I had an instrument and it was just like, all right, play, we just started banging away. It's like, it would be chaos. It would sound like noise. But as soon as we said, hey, we're playing in 4-4 time in the key of C, you know, at this tempo, you start playing, I start playing. Now it actually sounds like music, right? That's the container. What causal mapping essentially does is says, you know, to the analogy earlier around the fish in the water, it's like, here's the water. Here's the thing that you're playing in, right? Now that we can see it, how do we want to interact with it? It's not so constrictive. It's not order to the point where it's like, you have to play at this tempo and you can only play these notes. It's like, no, we're playing jazz. So organizations essentially are, uh, benefit from understanding the container. You know, people will say, uh, well, you should think outside the box. It's like, well, you can't think outside the box if you don't know what the box is, right? Like, <laughs> what, what are you thinking outside of at that point, right. right? So this really clarifies, here's the container that we're playing in. Now we have choice about how we want to interact inside of it. Interesting. So move away from the cacophony into the jazz, the, the jazz uh, yeah, yeah, ensemble. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Well, now how about... um what's the future hold? What do you see coming down the pike that has you like really excited or, oh my gosh, this is going to be horrendous. What do you see future, future holding for us? Yeah. You know, I think, I think it comes back to this piece around complexity. I think so often we hear these pieces around, well, we need a solution for this. We need a solution for this. We need a solution for this. Like we need to solve racism. We need to solve, you know, um, poverty, we need to solve all these things. It's like, well, those are really complex things. Like even in an organization, should we go, should we stay at home or should we work from the office? It's like, well, those are complex issues. There isn't a simple solution. It's not a yes or no answer, right? And I think the evolution of organizations and the evolution of people in those organizations is to acknowledge and to address complexity as patterns, as opposed to solutions to say, here's the pattern that we're in and how do we address it that way? So what I love about the causal mapping process or what I love about, um, you know, kind of all the things we've been talking about today, tension, causation, it's like those are ways for us to see and understand complexity and to approach it in a way that actually honors the people that we're engaging with and the complexity of the organization that we're in so that we can actually perform and behave and act and serve better. Right. Nice. We don't do that when we treat when we treat things as binary, we get stuck. Right. Either or do we focus on the individual? Do we focus on the team? Well, let's focus on the team. It's like that's not that's oversimplifying a complex problem. Nice. So in the complexity, the the both and not either or and yeah. the tension. Yeah, it's really gets down to the tension of and. Um, now, the, the other thing, too, is you talk about the complexity. Um out of this complexity to bring clarity, out of the complexity to bring simplicity, uh, it allows one to talk about it a little bit more easily. So getting down to that root cause 
there might be multiple solutions because there's going to be multiple different perspectives or different um, circumstances. So there might be a right answer for circumstances. So having this down at the root cause and dr driving down more deeply into it for the specifics is really going to give you a couple of different ideas, I would think. Yeah. I mean, what, what causation does is it shows you the pattern, right? It shows me the whole story, not just part of the story. Like often we're reacting just to a piece of it. And it's like, well, my reaction then is always going to be a simple solution to a complex problem. And when you do that, it leads to chaos, right? So like if I oversimplify my solution to something that's complicated or complex, now I'm just leading us to a place that's going to be less healthy, more frustrating, more challenging, because I didn't address how complex this thing really is, right? So uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on. Got it. Well, I'll tell you what, um, who should reach out to you? Um, how should they do it? And why should people reach out to you, Dave? Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good question. You know, we use the phrase in our organization, we call it aligning the misaligned, right? So essentially we look at four aspects of every organization. We look at culture, strategy, execution, and story. And we look at those four things, stories, both internal and external. So how are we talking externally? What are we talking about internally? But what we see in most organizations is that a few of those systems are operating at a high level and a few of them are operating at a lower level. And so when we say aligning the misaligned, what we mean is we're actually taking those four systems and making sure that they're swimming in the same direction. That's where that's where that kind of explosive growth or great culture lives is in all of the systems in your organization swimming in the same direction. So, you know, if it's a CEO, generally a C-suite business leader, leadership team, or typically the, you know, the folks that we engage with the most primarily, uh, typically, you know, uh, two to $10 million in revenue, a little bit bigger than that. It's kind of our bread and butter organization, but essentially a leadership team that is experiencing that misalignment where they're feeling that employee frustration, where they're feeling that, hey, we have these goals and we can't get there. We're not achieving the things that we need to achieve. Or often what I see is like they've reached their own complexity threshold, meaning we're at $3 million. We want to be at $10 million and we just cannot get past this point. What is happening? It's like, well, that's typically a system misalignment and we just need to adjust a few things and then that scalability will happen. Um, so again, we kind of tend to work with organizations or individuals that are feeling that misalignment. Um and use our processes to to get them aligned and swimming in the same direction. Got it. Okay. And and so how should they reach out to you? Uh, easiest way is to, you can go to the evolvedifference.com uh, or you can reach out to me directly if you'd like to at dave at the evolvedifference.com um, and, you know, set up a 30 minute check-in with me. And again, we'll just kind of go through a, a discovery process and, and see if we can uncover some things. At the worst case scenario, uh, you uncover some things, you get to discover some things that you can then implement on your own. Uh, like I said, I treat all those as a service, as a service to the people that I'm talking to. Uh, worst case scenario, you discover some stuff that you maybe didn't know. Nice. Okay. Well, perfect. Well, I appreciate it. So, so to really sum up, uh, to be able to do this causal mapping, identify the problem, create the story by using the tell me more, what else? So asking really good questions. How many times we talked about that, mm -hmm. um, help them to identify what the problems are and then then from there, you can lay out the categories that uh, of the problems that they have and uh, specifically address the key areas in which you can solve for them using a both and, a yes and, uh, as opposed to an either or. So you can have a tension of and to make this all come together. So um, I can't thank you enough, Dave. I really appreciate it. 
remember, knowledge for knowledge sake is pointless. It's knowledge for application sake. So take this, apply it, figure out what you're going to take from this and use today. Um, if you like this, give us a five-star review, share this with your friends and family. Um, and bottom line, let's make sure that we help communities thrive through entrepreneurship. So, hey, thanks everyone. Until next time, see you.